The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. I have my guest here this morning, Daniel Shoemaker. Daniel Shoemaker specializes in taking evidence in civil and criminal cases and putting it into a visual format where it can be presented and easily understood. He uses the most highly technical equipment available. I worked on a case with Daniel, and I can tell you his state-of-the-art equipment competes even with what is seen on CSI. He has robotic surveying laser to measure a crime scene. He has an aerial drone where he can either video or photograph a scene. And he's the only U.S. company with wireless motor ca- motion capture capabilities that um, accurately records real-time human movements. It's very interesting. Daniel Shoemaker and his company, Contrast Design, specialize in crime scene and well, accident scene reconstruction. He's had 20 years, five years experience with government agencies and Fortune 500 companies creating uh, information visuals. So he's worked over 60 criminal trials, 21 civil trials, and he's been provided, he's provided expert expertise in another 22 trials. And he's actually the only court-appointed person ever to enter, measure, and photograph the interior of Supermax Security Prison, Pelican Bay Prison, which is located on the California-Oregon border, and he reconstructed a homicide at that prison. So it's my real pleasure to welcome Daniel Shoemaker. Hi, Daniel. Good morning, Francie. Good morning. So, um, you know, I'm sure people want to know how in the world you got into this work. So where did you, how did, kind of how did you start out? Um, my background is I've got a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Graphic Design, and it started from that doing, uh, I got into doing corporate slide presentations and information graphics for, it started in Ohio, so I was doing uh, presentations for all of the tire companies in Akron. We also had an office up in Troy, Michigan, so I was doing uh, presentations for all the car companies. Hmm. And so it started from that and then got into more into doing uh, information graphics for uh, proposals, huge government proposals for the military and for other agencies like uh, uh, did a uh, some information graphics for a dismantling of nu- nuclear weapons facility, uh, U.S. security at all the U.S. embassies. Um, 
food distribution to all of the military bases in Iraq and Afghanistan. So I would create graphics to show how all that was going to operate. Wow, so it, it got from that into, uh, I have a friend who's a jury consultant. And so she was uh, talking to me about her work. And for years, I've been doing corporate presentations. And I knew the level of quality and the best way to present material in that. And then I saw, started getting familiar with attorneys uh, through her and seeing how that they were giving presentations in the courtroom. And that was 13 years ago. And at that time, attorneys were afraid. Their main thing was they didn't want to look too slick. They didn't want to look like they spent a lot of money on their presentation (laughs) material. Uh Uh-huh. So you kind of had to dumb down it a little bit. But my whole emphasis was to bring uh, their presentations at least up to the corporate level. So familiarizing them with PowerPoint and a lot of them were even afraid of PowerPoint. Mm -hmm, That's true. So it's advanced now after 13 years to the point where uh, juries kind of put some of that pressure onto attorneys to show them things because of CSI and some of those shows on TV. Mm-hmm. They expect uh, kind of cutting edge material. And so now we've also going more into a visual society. So you can't really just talk your way through a trial. You have to, the jury becomes visually starved. So you have to provide them with visuals so that everyone can be consistent on what their, uh, what their thoughts are on certain things in the case. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much how I got into it. So it started from information graphics for attorneys getting more complex into wanting to uh, create more uh, accurate crime scenes and uh, just give more information and find out, visually show what really happened. So then I got into um, – looking at what technology is best, not just for doing uh, crime scene reconstructions, but what technology is best overall. And in 2008, I purchased a motion capture suit. So mm-hmm. with that, it uh, you can put the suit on, and just by wearing the suit, I can record in real time a person's movements. So you've got the person's movements captured, accurately then i've got a um i've got a drone helicopter where i can fly over the scene so i can capture the visual scene accurate then i have a sokia robotic total station which surveyors use that's about the most accurate laser surveying device so i can capture the measurements of the scene and so then i can put all those together and you've got a total 360 accurate scene of what really happened. Okay, let's go back and take these apart, Daniel, because these are really interesting. The robotic total station uh, measuring tool, how does that work? It's pretty much what uh, you see on the side of roads with surveyors. Uh, construction companies use it. I'm using it. A lot of CHP and police officers use it for accident reconstruction and crime scene reconstruction. So what it does is, the one that I have is robotic, so it only requires one person to operate it. So I set it up on a tripod, 
and I have a, a prism on a pole that I walk around with, and I have a handheld data collector. So wherever I move my prism, the total station on the tripod will spin around and follow me. So every time I hit the button, it will measure the device, measure the uh, distance and the terrain, and then send that to my data collector. And all I do is just type in a description. So I go around and as many points as I want to collect, I collect all those points from the scene. And is there a, a maximum distance for that? I I don't have the exact number right now. It's like a half a mile. It's you can really? go far with it. That's amazing. Um, so and then how and then how do you use that information? Where does that go from there? So then I can take those points, put them on the computer, and I can twirl around those points in space. So it gives me a three D kind of a small point cloud of what the scene looks like. And then with the software that I have, um, the next phase is with the aerial photograph. So if I take an aerial photograph of that scene, then I take that image and it'll lay right on top of those uh, total station points, just kind of like draping a cloth over uh, something. Wow. So it gives you a really precise, um, say, where the edge of the road is, where the edge of the grass, where the building is. So I have all of that very accurate with a texture map from the from the aerial. And that the aerial drone that the drone that you use is just amazing. Um, I can remember you and I being out at a in the middle of the night with your drone, and it looks like a little UFO. <laughs> Uh, flying around above the neighborhood. It's a pretty effective tool. It'll fly up to 2,100 feet. You can even, I can even program it to a fly a certain path, and it'll fly it, and then you flip a button, and it'll just, it'll come back home. And you control it all remotely, like just like a, a little remote uh, model plane, right? Yeah, there's, there's different things that you can do beyond just capturing an aerial photo. You could uh, do a reconstruction where it would follow a path. So you could have it flying, uh, say, 30 feet up in the air and just follow down an alleyway or go someplace where uh, you want to visually show the jury that it's possible to go that direction or just help them. It's pretty much taking the scene to the jury instead of taking the jury to the scene. So there's other things that you can also do with the the helicopter. So how do you keep from capturing you your your uh, form in the video if you have it flying above you? Uh, just stay behind it, or sometimes you fly so high you don't really. Um, you can fly it pretty far away as long as you can, pretty much as long as you can see it. You can fly it out in front of you. Okay. And is it a fisheye lens? Depends. You can put different cameras on it. It's only restricted by the weight that it'll carry. You can put a GoPro camera on it. Huh. And the GoPro has the fisheye. And the new GoPro cameras have 120 
I think it'll, uh, there's one setting where it'll do 120 frames per second. So then if you want to come back and you can bring it into the GoPro software and slow it down and it'll just do really smooth slow motion uh, video just like butter. So it's really nice for doing smooth uh, aerial video like that. Now, when you do something like that, do you edit it at all, or do, is it just like real-time the way it comes out? Pretty much real-time the way it comes out. There's different things that you can do, like you can take out some of the shake with Adobe After Effects. You can run it through like a shake filter so you don't get as much vibration on the final video. But in terms of, uh, there's other editing and things that you can do, but you don't for using it as evidence, uh, you want to pretty much just use the the raw video. Yeah. Now, you just mentioned Adobe After Effects, and for us that are technically challenged, would you tell them what that is? Uh, Adobe After Effects is um, it's just a video editing program. They use it in a lot of movies, and it's one of the higher-end higher, higher end video editing programs. And... And how, if somebody was interested in pursuing looking into getting that uh, program, is that something you buy, like Adobe? Yeah, you can buy it. But Adobe has uh, they're the getting into monthly subscription thing now. Uh huh. So where if you pay, it used to be twenty nine dollars a month, but I think that offer isn't there anymore. I think it's up a little higher. But you pay a monthly subscription fee. And you not only get the use of the software that you're interested in, but you get to use every single piece of Adobe software out there. Hmm. So wow. it's a pretty good deal if you use a lot of different, uh, a variety of software. I'm still at the level of converting PDF format, so <laughs> a far way away from Adobe After Effects. Um, okay, so give me an example of how you've used the drone in a... Uh, trial or a civil or a criminal trial? Um, it's mostly just been flying over uh, a scene and taking still images on it. And then, for example, the one that I worked with you on, um, I flew over the location and I just used that as the ground, as the backdrop for where I placed the vehicle. And then I just animated the, the uh camera on the computer to, f to move around the vehicle. Okay, so you got a, like a 360-degree view of the vehicle like you were walking all the way around it. Yes. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, so, so that's the, the laser measuring tool and the drone. Now let's go back to um, your suit, your magic suit. Um, so my suit, I looked at a lot of different kinds of suits. The reason why I chose this one was portability, portability and reliability of it. Other motion capture suits most people are familiar with um, for the animation and gaming companies that use them are the ones that have balls on them. So you put this suit on and it has all these white balls around it. The only problem with that is it has to be within a square kind of cage where you have high-speed cameras in the cube, 
and they keep track of where ball number one is. So all the cameras know where ball number one is, and wherever that it moves, it can track it in 3D space. But the problem is, once that ball disappears, it doesn't know where it's going. It loses it. Mm-hmm. So, so it always has to I'm, visually be uh, connected with it. Okay, so I'm not quite I'm not quite understanding how these ball things would work. They would be on this in various places on the suit. Right. So say there's one on my elbow. Uh-huh. Ball on my elbow. All these cameras know that the ball on my elbow is number five. Oh, okay. So when I'm moving around, the camera to the right of me knows where ball number five is. The camera to the left of me knows where the ball number five is. So then the computer, the software in the computer can then track it in 3D space relative to each of the cameras. The problem with that is you have to stay within that camera rig, and if it gets covered up, say, for example, you got into a vehicle, you would just completely lose all the the tracking of the balls. So the advantage of the suit that I have is it has 16 accelerometers, so it doesn't depend on cameras at all. It depends on – there's a transmitter on the suit that will send information about each of the accelerometers – to my laptop. So then on my laptop there's a little mannequin and it's move it it will move exactly in real time to the way the person in the suit moves. Yeah, and you and I played around with your suit <laughs> with with me wearing the the suit. It was quite an experience. It was very strange. Um so this to describe this suit, it's kind of like a, a heavy-duty spandex fabric. Yes. And so it fits very, real close to the body, although it's very it's very stretchy, so it fits people in of different builds, <laughs> so to speak, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so you've had the and these little sensors that you're calling what? Accelerometers. Accelerometers. Okay. It's a high-tech accelerometer compared to your iPhone has an accelerometer in it. So your iPhone knows when it's upright, when it's tilted, when it's shaken. Mm. So it's similar to the same thing, that type of technology, where it knows how fast something's moving and it knows whether it's moving up or down or left or right or forward or backwards. Okay. So and these, it can track of all those. And you said that there's how many accelerometers in the suit? There's 16. 16. And they're placed strategically, so at, like, at, each, at each wrist, at each ankle, uh, and various other places on the body that you would want to track. Yes. Okay. All right. This is a good time for a break, Daniel. I'll be right back with my guest, Daniel Shoemaker. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Well, seeing is certainly believing, and Daniel Shoemaker takes evidence in either a civil or a criminal case, and he puts it into a visual format to present to juries. So we were just talking about this robotic suit, and... um, so when you um, you have somebody in the suit and you have the sensors all configured to come up on your on your computer on your laptop screen, then yeah. then then what do you do with that? Um, I'll record different scenarios. Uh, one of the advantages of the suit is I can take it to a crime scene. Um, say, for example, I've done it a couple times where. I put the suit on and I've gotten into a truck that was in the impound lot. And that way I'm interacting with the actual um, physical objects from the scene. So say, for example, you're in the truck and you're going to bend over and try to get something from underneath the seat. If you're not interacting with the actual uh, truck, you're not going to get that movement right because in the truck that I was in, the dashboard kind of comes back. So you can't bend over straight. You have to bend over to the side. Mm -hmm. And so you capture all of that with the suit, which is um, very accurate. So then once I capture that with the suit, um, I take that and I bring it into, I save it as a BVH file, which is a motion file. So then the motion file I import that into a 3D program, and when it's imported, you can specify what the height of the person is that you're going to map it onto. So, it's okay, so it doesn't have to be the height of the person wearing the suit, right? They can be an inch or two off. They shouldn't be too far off, but it doesn't have to be the person wearing the suit doesn't have to be the exact size of the. Um, defendant or whoever you're trying to do the reconstruction of. Okay. Then you 
remap, you map that on to the height, say six foot of the person that you want. So then it'll, it all comes into the 3D program and then it creates a kind of a skeleton of it. So then I create or I get a 3D person that matches the person that I'm trying to do the reconstruction of. And then I bind that skeleton to the 3D model which means it's, it's just kind of sticking the skeleton onto the 3D figure. Okay. And then, and then the 3D figure will move according to what you just recorded with the motion capture suit. So fascinating. So what, give us an application of how you use it, something like that. Uh, most recent case was the Trayvon Martin, George Zimmerman case. Okay. That Thanks. one I used... That one I used two motion capture suits, took them down to the scene, and in that case, it was, you kind of have to do some choreography with the suit, um, according to what the facts showed, and also in this case, it was, there was a 911 recording, so the movements were done in sequence with the 911 recording, so I had, had a computer with speakers and as the 911 call was being played then the movements of the people in the motion capture suits were going on and at the point when the bullet or the uh, shotgun or the gun went off then there was movements after that so we were able to time all those movements according to the 911 call I see and you were working for the defense yes you're working for Zimmerman's attorney. Yes. The other important thing about being able to use the suits at the scene was, in this case, there was a slope. There was a slight slope in the grass where they were laying, where they were um, fighting. And the slope would affect some of their movements if they were able to come off the, the sidewalk. A slope would... With, gra with, wet, with wet grass would enable them to slide down the slope a little bit more, which is consistent with um, the facts in the case and the position that Mr. Martin was in after he was shot. So that's why it's, all, it's important to be able to take the motion capture suit to the scene. So, And, and in this case, did you go out to the, at the same time of day? It's not really necessary to go out at the same time of day. Uh, this was at night, in, in, pretty much in the dark, but all that can be added in the computer. Mm -hmm. Also, it was rainy. The grass out there when we were there was wet because of the sprinklers. So it was consistent with uh, a rain, wet, rainy night in terms of the, how slick the grass was. But that other, the other elements can be added on the computer, like rain, like on my video, I added rain in the computer, and really? <laughs> I uh, I darkened the lighting up a little bit, but I didn't try to match the lighting, mainly because the jury wouldn't be able to see what um, the video very well. Right. So I thought it was more important to show what really went on compared to uh, the accuracy of the lighting, which other people could testify to. And so you didn't have any, that, there was no problem with getting that as um, 
entered into evidence. I mean, nobody objected. The other side didn't object to you having something that's a little different than what really was happening. Well, the prosecution and uh, prosecution tried very hard to keep it out of evidence. So what happened was um, uh, the defense attorney saw how much they were trying to keep it out of evidence. So he didn't, his tactic was instead of having this be pushed into evidence, we'll just show it as demonstrative evidence. Mm-hmm. For uh, closing statements. Oh, I see. Okay. So instead of being evidence, I'll just use it as an example. Right. Yeah. And it was, and it was effective because uh, in one of the CNN interviews with a juror, one of the jurors, she was asked whether she thought that the video was uh, um, believable, and she said yes. Mm-hmm. So it's accurate. It's Effective using it either in evidence or as a demonstrative. Well, it's interesting because, as you know, the case that you and I were working on, we uh, made a point of having the same uh, light, um, the same moon, the same light of, of, because it was also in the middle of the night. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we made sure that we went during a time when it was exactly the same uh whatever the moon was, like which I can't remember at this point, uh, to make sure we had exactly the same uh, environment when, ha- when the crime happened. Yeah, that's, it's very tough to testify to the accuracy of lighting because there's so many different variables. If you're going to, even if you had, like say for example, you have two projectors in the courtroom and you're showing a video that's... Uh, trying to portray the lighting, it's going to be different on both projectors when you're showing it. Mm-hmm. Even if you print it out, it'll vary on whatever printer you're using. So that's why I'm mostly in my reconstruction, I focus on other things that will show what actually happened. Say, for example, uh, if something was obscured by... Uh, somebody's point of view, or I look at other things that will um, explain what happened more than just the lighting. Okay. All right. Well, that, you know, it's, this is so fascinating. Of course, we've all seen CSI, so we know all, all the, you know, high tech stuff that goes on. So to see it and talk about it in real life is amazing. You were telling me about a scanner that uh, you're using now. Yeah, there's a company that's coming out with a, it's it's called a Matterport scanner. I went through the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco uh, last year, and I saw this at one of the booths, and they were marketing it to companies for doing uh, game environments. So you could go out, or they're also marketing it to architects and construction companies for doing uh, scanning buildings. And so what this does is you set it up on a tripod and it has a iPad interface and it's very easy to use. You set it up, it fits on top of the tripod and it's got a Windows environment computer inside of it. It has a camera and it also has an infrared camera. So you just tell it to scan and it'll spin around in 360 degrees 
take an image of that environment and it turns it into a 3D model. So then you move it at 20 feet and then do it again and it pieces them together. So you wow. through and you can piece the whole scene. So I used it on the, the Zimmerman case where I took it out and because of the, how critical it was for the slope in the grass, uh, I used it to reconstruct that exact slope. That's amazing. So um, let's, what I'd like you to do, Daniel, is would you give your website, because you have some of this stuff on your website that people who are interested in this can go and look at what you're talking about. Um, it's at contrastforensics.com. So I've got some samples up there now, and I'll just I'll keep putting more samples of motion capture and of the scanner. Um, also, there's uh, other things that I put on there that will help attorneys. Like uh, most attorneys are familiar with PowerPoint. There's some other software called Prizy. It's more instead of a linear presentation like PowerPoint does, where you just go from one slide to the next. Mm -hmm. Prizy kind of will move around your presentation, and you can also then kind of customize it and move around in your presentation depending on the spur of the moment how you want to what you want to talk about. So I've got uh, little things on there that'll help attorneys in presenting their material. Yeah, you also have a link to the Zimmerman trial specifically if people are interested in looking at that that piece. I know there a lot of people are are interested in the Trayvon Martin uh, Zimmerman case, and so um, people might be interested in, in checking that out as well. One thing with the the Zimmerman case was not all attorneys know the best way of getting an animation admitted into evidence. Uh huh. Um, like you said at the beginning of the this uh, radio show, I take information from coroner's reports, from police reports, from photographs, from my measurements. I take all that stuff and I put it into context altogether. Um, so when in the process of getting this admitted into evidence, what the attorney needs to do is take still images from the video and have, say, the ballistic expert look at the, that still image and then they testify to you, is this accurate? Is this what your findings were? And then the coroner will testify to the coroner's portion of the angle of the bullet through the person. Is this consistent with, with what you found? So then you go through and have all these experts testify to the accuracy of those visuals and then when you go to get the um, animation admitted as evidence, then it's just as I get up and I testify to how accurate uh, the tools that I used in creating the animation. And so then it's very easy to get uh, an animation like that admitted into evidence. Yeah, because I, I know just from my experience with you, uh, you took the um, coroner's report and you took um, the ballistics report from the crime scene where all the casings, the casings were found and tried to recreate this 360-degree view of what was happening based on that evidence. Yes. 
That's why uh, in the Trayvon Martin, George Zimmerman case, the attorney just chose to use it as um, demonstrative evidence. It's effective using it for that, but um, he didn't go through and have the experts that were testifying before me go through and uh, testify to different parts of the video. So that's why he had a little bit more of a challenging time getting it admitted as evidence. Yeah, and, I can, and you know, I can see that where this is a problem because if once you um, see something like that, like on TV, once you see something like on TV, which is what we're talking about, um, you that goes in your brain and that becomes the thing that happens. So it may not be consistent with the evidence specifically. Well, that's why they... Yeah, that's why you have to have all these experts that'll testify to the different parts of it. One yeah. of the challenging parts on the Zimmerman trial was, uh, which is a bit different than California, I believe, is the judge there sequestered me from being able to see any of the trial or mm. listen to any other expert witnesses testify. But my reconstruction was supposed to be based on their in-court testimony. So I can't watch their in-court testimony, but I'm supposed to do my reconstruction based on their in-court testimony. So that sounds, sounds it was, impossible. <laughs> it was kind of ridiculous. Yeah, so did you get transcripts where you could then take the information and plug it into your scenario? I wasn't even allowed to view transcripts. Hmm. So I had to talk with uh, the defense attorney and through the defense attorney um, – make changes or make any modifications based on their in-court testimony. That would be really difficult. Uh, you, yeah, because you, you wouldn't be dealing with objective uh, evidence that way. Right. It, it was just kind of tying my hands on a lot of it. Yeah. And my whole, my whole purpose is to create as accurate uh, reconstruction as I can based on the facts. That's why I've spend so much money on all this equipment and I'm constantly looking on the most for the most accurate way of doing reconstructions. Well, and I was talking to you on the break, your next your next toy is going to be a 3D printer. Yes. Um, so <laughs> Well, the, you're talking about seeing is believing. It's one thing to have an image and even a 3D image on the screen where you can look around it. It's kind of makes it more real if you can take that image and actually hold it in your hand and look at it. So I worked on this one case uh, where the police officer was fighting with a, um, a guy out behind a, a hotel and it was in the dark and they were on the ground fighting in, in these bushes. And this was a civil case against the police officer. And the police officer said that they were fighting and the other guy took his flashlight and got on his knees and swung the flashlight around at the officer's head to uh, knock him out. And the officer backed off and then shot, him, shot once and then he backed off and went away and then they came back later to find the, the person. So... The other councils uh, had a coroner that was on this, showing a picture on the screen, and they were trying to 
show the position of the guy's arm when he was shot. And from the picture on the screen, he, they weren't lining up the bullet holes correctly. So huh. I went back, I created a 3D model on the computer consistent with the size of the, the victim. And then I put a rod through where it went through his chest. And then there were holes in his arm where it went through his arm. So then I just moved his arm up to where those the rod intersect where the holes in his arm were. And right. it showed me the position that his arm was in when he was shot, which was exactly consistent with somebody having a flashlight and swinging it um, towards somebody. So then I took that 3D model, saved it as a CAD file, and sent it to a service bureau. And for like $150, they printed out a ceramic, uh, like a nine-inch ceramic model <laughs> of that person. And you could see it was like right down to the finger nails that you wow so then you can take that and you can drill holes where the uh, the bullet holes were and stick your own rod in there and then just get, give that to the jury to to look at and i think that's the next big thing is 3d uh printed objects for in court um viewing yeah that that's amazing well, i can see you know, because one one issue always in a murder case or where, there, where there's a, a handgun is being able to handle the handgun. You know, right. the, the prosecution and it's all, you know, tied up and the prosecution may handle it and the defense attorney, but the jury can't handle it. So I can see how something like that, you could actually pass around the jury and let them look at it closer. Yeah, and anytime they get something to interact with, uh, it just gets them more involved and more, they pay more attention. And if your side, there's a competition here in each trial for the trust of the jury and for the, they call it in uh, corporations, they call it mindshare. So mm. a jury goes into a trial with the majority of their trust being in the prosecution and if you're in the on the defense side and you're the one that's continually giving them the facts, visuals to uh, back up those facts, then they start looking at your uh, what you're giving them as the truth. And so they're continually looking at you for the truth. So that's what um, you need to accomplish in a trial. Well, and uh, really... That's exactly right. It's it's about credibility. It's who, which side the the jurors believe have the most credibility. And that's one thing that kills me about. Uh, I see so many CSI reconstructions and so many graphics of crime scenes where, if you look in the corner, it says not to scale or uh -huh. things like that. It's like if you're going to go and do spend the time doing this, why can't you do it accurate and show an accurate reconstruction to the jury instead of... So whenever whenever you see that as part of the discovery, that's your opportunity to create, do a reconstruction to scale and present it to the jury because then it shows the difference between something that's just an estimate and something that you're trying to show as as accurate as possible. You're you're not trying to cover up or hide any facts. You're you're trying to show as accurate as possible to the jury. 
Mm-hmm. Well, you know, aren't you, I mean, I, at least I am, aren't you always surprised when you, say, read a report, whether it's about a civil case or a criminal case, you, you read a description and then you go out to where this incident happened and it looks much different than what you imagined in your mind's eye. Yes. I'm, I'm always surprised at that. I mean, it's kind of, it's a little like reading the book and then going and seeing the movie and it looks a lot, it looks different than you thought it was going to be. Well, that's part of the, what I enjoy about what I do is, is discovering somebody may go through and write a report or something about what really happened, but there's always that underlying thing about what the work that I do is going out and trying to find really what happened and how it differs from what has been portrayed already. I'm always really excited to find out if, if, I can see something, the truth or something like that, that will tell what really happened in each of the events. Well, you're, I mean, what you have, the kind of equipment you have, you can, um, for all intents and purposes, recreate a situation that otherwise would be a lot of speculation. Right. And I don't, that's another thing that bothers me about reading testimony or um, listening to uh, testimony in court is how people can get up there and just kind of, like you talk about, speculate left and right. And this is something that involves somebody's life. Right. That's one of the things with uh, the motion capture suit that I have. So many other companies are using it for gaming and for um, animation and stuff. But the stuff that I'm using this for involves somebody's life, and I, I don't see any other better use for this equipment than the stuff that I'm using it for. Uh, I, I agree with you. And even if it doesn't involve somebody's life specifically, it may involve, like, say, a product liability situation where somebody was injured or there's all kinds of – I can see that there's all kinds of applications with what you do. Correct. So, Yeah. Well, this is, uh, Daniel, this has just been amazing. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to be with us today. I know you're, you're not at home. You're out traveling, and you're, you've taken the time today to, to join us. So I really appreciate that. Really interesting. Um, let me just say our upcoming shows, uh, Mindy Naumer from PI Now on Marketing for PIs is on next week. And then Joan Morris of the Contra Costa Times on the missing Dottie Kaler case from Concord, California. 30 years ago, she disappeared, and uh, the PI on that case will be Naughty Bumbo. Michael Schoen um, from CBS News, and finally, Christopher Upley, Utley on geological research. So again, tune in next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators and from forensic experts like Daniel Shoemaker. Thank you so much. It's PIs Declassified. See you next week. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific time here on the Voice America Variety Channel.
Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.